Section 54 of Marion Fay by Anthony Trollope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Volume 3, Chapter 11. Of course there was a bitterness. It was not surprising that Lord Kingsbury should have been unhappy when Roden was shown up into his room, as Mr. Greenwood had been with him. Mr. Greenwood had called on the previous day, and had been refused admittance. He had then sent in an appeal, asking so piteously for an interview that the Marquis had been unable to repudiate it. Mr. Greenwood knew enough of letter-writing to be able to be effective on such an occasion. He had, he said, lived under the same roof with the Marquis for a quarter of a century. Though the positions of the two men in the world were so different, they had lived together as friends. The Marquis, throughout that long period, had frequently condescended to ask the advice of his chaplain, and not unfrequently to follow it. After all this, could he refuse to grant the favor of a last interview? He had found himself unable to refuse the favor. The interview had taken place, and consequently the Marquis had been very unhappy when George Roden was shown up into his room. The rector of Appleslocombe was dead. The interview was commenced by a communication to that effect from Mr. Greenwood. The Marquis, of course, knew the fact, had indeed already given the living away had not delayed a minute in giving it away because of some fear which still pressed upon him in reference to Mr. Greenwood. Nor did Mr. Greenwood expect to get the living, or perhaps desire it. But he wished to have a grievance, and to be in possession of a subject on which he could begin to make his complaint. "'You must have known, Mr. Greenwood, that I never intended it for you,' said the Marquis. Mr. Greenwood, seated on the edge of his chair and rubbing his two hands together, declared that he had entertained hopes in that direction. "'I don't know why you should, then. I never told you so. I never thought of it for a moment. I always meant to put a young man into it, comparatively young.' Mr. Greenwood shook his head and still rubbed his hands. I don't know that I can do anything more for you. It isn't much that you have done, certainly, Lord Kingsbury. I have done as much as I intend to do, said the Marquis, rousing himself angrily. I have explained all that by Mr. Roberts. Two hundred a year after a quarter of a century? Mr. Greenwood had in truth been put into possession of three hundred a year, but as one hundred of this came from Lord Hampstead, it was not necessary to mention the little addition. "'It is very wrong your pressing your way in here and talking to me about it at all. "'After having expected the living for so many years? "'You had no right to expect it. "'I didn't promise it. "'I never thought of it for a moment. "'When you asked me, I told you that it was out of the question.' I never heard of such impertinence in all my life. I must ask you to go away and leave me, Mr. Greenwood. But Mr. Greenwood was not disposed to go away just yet. 
He had come there for a purpose, and he intended to go on with it. He was clearly resolved not to be frightened by the Marquis. He got up from his chair and stood looking at the Marquis, still rubbing his hands, till the sick man was almost frightened by the persistency of his silence. "'What is it, Mr. Greenwood, that makes you stand thus? Do you not hear me tell you that I have got nothing more to say to you?' "'Yes, my lord, I hear what you say. Then why don't you go away?' I won't have you stand there staring like that. He still shook his head. Why do you stand there and shake your head? It must be told, my lord. What must be told? The Marchioness. What do you mean, sir? What have you got to say? Would you wish to send for her ladyship? No, I wouldn't. I won't send for her ladyship at all. What has her ladyship got to do with it? She promised. Promised what? Promised the living. She undertook that I should have Apple Slocum the moment it became vacant. I don't believe a word of it. She did. I don't think that her ladyship will deny it. It might have been so, certainly, and had there been no chance of truth in the statement, he would hardly have been so ready to send for Lady Kingsbury. But had she done so, the promise would amount to nothing. Though he was sick and wretched and weak, and in some matters afraid of his wife, there had been no moment of his life in which he would have given way to her on such a subject as this. She promised it me for a purpose. A purpose? For a purpose, my lord. What purpose? Mr. Greenwood went on staring and shaking his head and rubbing his hands, till the Marquis, awestruck and almost frightened, put out his hand towards the bell. But he thought of it again. He remembered himself that he had nothing to fear. If the man had anything to say about the Marchioness, it might perhaps be better said without the presence of servants. If you mean to say anything, say it. If not, go. If you do neither one nor the other very quickly, I shall have you turned out of the house. Turned out of the house? Certainly. If you have any threat to make, you had better make it in writing. You can write to my lawyers, or to me, or to Lord Hampstead, or to Mr. Roberts. It isn't a threat. It is only a statement. She promised it me for a purpose. I don't know what you mean by a purpose, Mr. Greenwood. I don't believe Lady Kingsbury made any such promise. But if she did, it wasn't hers to promise. I don't believe it, but had she promised, I should not be bound by it. Not if you have not given it away. I have given it away, Mr. Greenwood. Then I must suggest suggest what compensation my lord it will only be fair you ask her ladyship her ladyship cannot intend that i should be turned out of your lordship's house with only two hundred a year after what has passed between me and her ladyship what passed said the marquis absolutely rousing himself so as to stand erect before the other man 
I had rather, my lord, that you should hear it from her ladyship. What passed? There was all that about Lady Frances. What about Lady Frances? Of course, I was employed to do all that I could to prevent the marriage. You employed me yourself, my lord. It was you sent me down to see the young man and explain to him how impertinent he was. It isn't my fault, Lord Kingsbury, if things have got themselves changed since then. You think you ought to make a demand upon me because, as my chaplain, you were asked to see a gentleman who called here on a delicate matter? It isn't that I am thinking about. If it had been only that, I should have said nothing. You asked me what it was about, and I was obliged to remind you of one thing. What took place between me and her ladyship was, of course, much more particular but it all began with your lordship. If you hadn't commissioned me, I don't suppose her ladyship would ever have spoken to me about Lady Frances. What is it all? Sit down, won't you, and tell it all like a man, if you have got anything to tell. The Marquis, fatigued with his exertion, was forced to go back to his chair. Mr. Greenwood also sat down, but whether or no like a man may be doubted. Remember this, Mr. Greenwood. It does not become a gentleman to repeat what has been said to him in confidence, especially not to repeat it to him or to them from whom it was intended to be kept secret. And it does not become a Christian to endeavor to make ill blood between a husband and his wife. Now, if you have got anything to say, say it. Mr. Greenwood shook his head. If you have got nothing to say, go away. I tell you fairly that I don't want to have you here. You have begun something like a threat, and if you choose to go on with it, you may. I am not afraid to hear you, but you must say it or go. Mr. Greenwood again shook his head. I suppose you won't deny that her ladyship honored me with a very close confidence. I don't know anything about it. Your lordship didn't know that her ladyship, down at Trafford, used to be talking to me pretty freely about Lord Hampstead and Lady Frances? If you have got anything to say, say it, screamed the Marquis. Of course his lordship and her ladyship are not her ladyship's own children. What has that got to do with it? Of course there was a bitterness. What is that to you? I will hear nothing from you about Lady Kingsbury, unless you have to tell me of some claim to be made upon her. If there has been money promised you, and she acknowledges it, it shall be paid. Has there been any such promise? Mr. Greenwood found it very difficult, nay, quite impossible, to say in accurate language that which he was desirous of explaining by dark hints. There had, he thought, been something of a compact between himself and the Marchioness. The Marchioness had desired something which she ought not to have desired, and had called upon the chaplain for more than his sympathy. The chaplain had been willing to give her more than his sympathy, had at one time been almost willing to give her very much more. He might possibly, as he now felt, have misinterpreted her wishes. 
but he had certainly heard from her language so strong in reference to her husband's children that he had been justified in considering that it was intended to be secret. As a consequence of this, he had been compelled to choose between the Marquis and the Marchioness. By becoming the confidential friend of the one, he had necessarily become the enemy of the other. Then, as a further consequence, he was turned out of the house, and, as he declared to himself, utterly ruined. Now in this there had certainly been much hardship, and who was to compensate him, if not the Marquis? There certainly had been some talk about Apple Slocombe during those moments of hot passion in which Lady Kingsbury had allowed herself to say such evil things of Lady Frances and Lord Hampstead. Whether any absolute promise had been given, she would probably not now remember. There certainly had been a moment in which she had thought that her husband's life might possibly pass away before that of the old rector, and reference may have been made to the fact that, had her own darling been the heir, the gift of the living would then have fallen into her own hands. Mr. Greenwood had probably thought more of some possible compensation for the living than of the living itself. He had no doubt endeavoured to frighten her ladyship into thinking that some mysterious debt was due to him, if not for services actually rendered, at any rate for extraordinary confidences. But before he had forced upon her the acknowledgment of the debt, he was turned out of the house. Now this he felt to be hard. What were two hundred a year as a pension for a gentleman after such a lifelong service? Was it to be endured that he should have listened for so many years to all the abominable politics of the Marquis, and to the anger and disappointment of the Marchioness? That he should have been so closely connected, and for so many years, with luxury, wealth, and rank, and then arrive at so poor an evening of his day? As he thought of this, he felt the more ashamed of his misfortune, because he believed himself to be in all respects a stronger man than the Marquis. He had flattered himself that he could lead the Marquis, and had thought that he had been fairly successful in doing so. His life had been idle, luxurious, and full of comfort, the Marquis had allowed him to do pretty well what he pleased, until, in an evil hour, he had taken the side of the Marchioness in a family quarrel. Then the Marquis, though weak in health, almost to his death, had suddenly become strong in purpose, and had turned him abruptly out of the house, with a miserable stipend hardly fit for more than a butler. Could it be that he should put up with such usage, and allow the Marquis to escape unscathed out of his hand? In this condition of mind he had determined that he owed it to himself to do or say something that should frighten his lordship into a more generous final arrangement. There had been, he said to himself again and again, such a confidence with a lady of so high a rank that the owner of it ought not to be allowed to languish upon two or even upon three hundred a year. If the whole thing could really be explained to the Marquis, the Marquis would probably see it himself. And to all this was to be added the fact that no harm had been done. 
the marchioness owed him very much for having wished to assist her in getting rid of an heir that was disagreeable to her the marquis owed him more for not having done it and they both owed him very much in that he had never said a word of it all to anybody else he had thought that he might be clever enough to make the marquis understand something of this without actually explaining it that some mysterious promise had been made and that as the promise could not be kept some compensation should be awarded this was what he had desired to bring home to the mind of the marquis he had betrayed no confidence he intended to betray none he was very anxious that the marquis should be aware that as he mr greenwood was a gentleman all confidences would be safe in his hands but then the marquis ought to do his part of the business and not turn his confidential chaplain out of the house after a quarter of a century with a beggarly annuity of two hundred a year but the marquis seemed to have acquired unusual strength of character and mr greenwood found that the words were very difficult to be found he had declared that there had been a bitterness and beyond that he could not go it was impossible to hint that her ladyship had wished to have lord hampstead removed the horrid thoughts of a few days had become so vague to himself that he doubted whether there had been any real intention as to the young lord's removal even in his own mind there was nothing more that he could say than this that during the period of this close intimacy her ladyship had promised to him the living of Appleslocombe, and that, as that promise could not be kept, some compensation should be made to him. "'Was any sum of money named?' asked the Marquis. "'Nothing of the kind. Her ladyship thought that I ought to have the living.' "'You can't have it, and there's an end of it.' "'And you think that nothing should be done for me?' I think that nothing should be done for you more than has been done. Very well. I am not going to tell secrets that have been entrusted to me as a gentleman, even though I am so badly used by those who have confided them to me. Her ladyship is safe with me. Because I sympathized with her ladyship, your lordship turned me out of the house. No, I didn't. Should I have been treated like this had I not taken her ladyship's part? I am too noble to betray a secret, or no doubt I could compel your lordship to behave to me in a very different manner. Yes, my lord, I am quite ready to go now. I have made my appeal, and I have made it in vain. I have no wish to call upon her ladyship. As a gentleman, I am bound to give her ladyship no unnecessary trouble." While this last speech was going on, a servant had come into the room and had told the Marquis that the Duca di Crinola was desirous of seeing him. The servants in the establishment were, of course, anxious to recognize Lady Frances's lover as an Italian duke. The Marquis would probably have made some excuse for not receiving the lover at this moment, had he not felt that he might in this way best ensure the immediate retreat of Mr. Greenwood. Mr. Greenwood went, and Roden was summoned to Lord Kingsbury's presence. 
but the meeting took place under circumstances which naturally made the marquis incapable of entering at the moment with much spirit on the great duca question end of section fifty four recording by arnold banner thurmond north carolina